Right, y'all can have a seat. Um, happy Sunday. Glad y'all are here. Um, my name is Fred. I get to be the lead pastor here. And, and as Matt said, I do pray that we have more faith and trust when we leave this place than we do when we walk in. But here is specifically what I've been praying for uh, for this service in, in light of this message, that specifically all of us will be more willing uh, to be seen by Jesus today more willing to be found by Jesus today. And, and, and maybe those parts of our soul, maybe those parts of our life, those parts of our spirit that we kind of like to keep hidden from people and hidden from Jesus, that we would instead be willing to let him in and to let him see those places. Um, before I dive into my message, I do have one announcement. We have a baptism scheduled for next week. Um, if you want to be part of that baptism, like participate in it, not watch, but participate in it, um, let me know right after the service today uh, because we um, have some decisions to make this week and stuff like that. So if I know uh, who's going to be here, it helps us make those decisions. So got it? So let me know right after the service today if you want to be baptized, and then I'll follow up with you this week. If you're watching online, here's what I want you to do. Email me like right now. Right, and I will check it right after the service um, and let me know. My email is fred at fellowshipashville.com. All complaints can go to matt at fellowshipashville.com. Um, other than that, uh, feel free to, to email me right now. Um, okay, so I want to do a little experiment as I kick off this sermon. And I hope this works. Um, if it doesn't, it was Matt's idea. Um, um, but, but, but I'm going to start something, and I want to see if you can finish it, all right? <clears throat> so if I start, sweet Caroline, <sighs> you did it. worked. You did it. See, I'm from Texas, and it's a little different. In Texas, we'd go, the stars at night are big and bright. Thank you. <laughs> My wife, for those of you who are watching online, that's that's, that's what we do in Texas. But here, here it's that, right? And, and, and here's, I'm so glad it worked because like many of us have this common experience of being someplace where that song comes on, that song is being sung, and everybody chimes in and does that, dun, 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 right? Let me ask you this, because and here's what, it like brings a sense of togetherness, like we're all in this together. Let me ask you this, anybody not know that? Like, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but anybody not know what I was doing or not know that? Because here's the deal, like, feeling left out, like, if I had just done Texas and, you know, my wife and I think somebody, one person tried and then realized nobody else was doing it and back then, like, like if, if that was what I did and all of us felt left out from that, like, feeling left out is awful, isn't it? Have you ever felt left out before? Um, how about this? This, I, this? this feeling of being left out, this feeling of being alone is epidemic these days. Did you know in the United Kingdom, they have an official government position called the Ministry of Loneliness, right? And it's one person whose job is to address the epidemic loneliness that the United Kingdom is experiencing. That even though we are more connected than we have ever been in the history of the world, 
we are also more lonely than we have ever been in the history of the world. We don't sit around campfires and tell stories like, like you know, ancient times they did every night, right? We don't bring over casseroles when somebody's sick anymore because we're like, are they, are they on Weight Watchers? Are they keto? Are they gluten-free? Are they dairy-free? Are they vegan? Are they vegetarian? Are they all those things unless it's their birthday and then they don't care? You know, like, like, like it's, 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 it's all this stuff that just continues to create this gap between us. Well, imagine, imagine that kind of loneliness amped up even more, right? Like, imagine being a person that felt so alone because people were actually afraid to be around you, right? Like, people didn't even want to get near you because they were afraid that maybe whatever you had was going to rub off on them. Right? Well, this is what we're going to see today. Today, we're going to see Jesus interact with two different types of people. One is experiencing a loneliness that may happen in the future. The other one is experiencing this type of loneliness where people are actually afraid to be around her. And what we're going to do is we're going to see Jesus meet both of them in their different types of loneliness. And as he does, we're going to see what we can do when we feel lonely. And we're going to see also, this is the part that I love, so you're going to have to hold on all the way to the end. Because what we're going to see is that when we do, it's not only good for us, it's good for the people around us as well. Just the way God has orchestrated his economy of how we work together. So turn with me to Mark chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 21 through 43. Last week, we saw Jesus uh, meet kind of like the most outcast person you can remember. Remember, he was, he was full of demons. He was, didn't have a stitch of clothes on. He was living in the tombs, and Jesus healed him. Well, well that theme of loneliness is going to continue this week. Jesus healed them, healed him, him, and now he is going to heal them, these other two people uh, experiencing loneliness. So chapter 5, verse 21 says this. It says, When Jairus had crossed again in the boat on the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. Now, Jairus is this religious leader, right? We, in the other Gospels, we see that, that he was like this local leader in the, in the synagogue. So he was like a, a local pastor in, in, in our uh, context, right? That Jairus was this, this spiritual leader. He was this person of influence. Not really the type guy that you would think would be experiencing loneliness, but we're going to see what his loneliness uh, is, the potential of loneliness that he is struggling with is this. Look at verse the rest of verse 22. It says this, it says, Then came out one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. So Jairus sees Jesus and falls down as, at, his peak, at his feet, right? So, so his position that I want you to keep in your mind is that, is that he, this, this religious leader sees Jesus, comes up, and, and what he does is he drops down to his knees. Now hold that image because I'm going to come back to it again in a minute. Verse 23 says this, and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. So, so Jairus comes to him at Jesus' feet and says, Listen, my daughter is on the verge of death. Please come with me and heal her. And Jesus says, All right, all right, let's go. 
right? And so, 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 so they go. And so this account of Jesus' ministry is found in two, other, in, the, in two other gospels, found in Matthew and found in Luke, right? And, and what Luke does is he picks up on this little detail about his daughter that, that Mark didn't do. Luke talks about the fact that she was his only child. Right? We find out a little bit later in this text that she's 12, but she was Jairus's only child, Jairus and his wife, their only child. Now, what this would have meant is at the age of 12 in Jewish time, this daughter would be moving from childhood into adulthood soon, very soon, most likely. She would be getting married. She would start having good little Jewish kids, like, like Jairus and his wife would be grandparents, and so it would be this beautiful uh, ongoing of their family line. And so this little girl who's 12, about to step into adulthood and all the things that adulthood meant to them, this little girl is sick, and she is their only child, and she is about to die. And so as Jairus looks at his daughter, he sees his future. Right? If she dies, me and my wife, we've got no one. Right? We've got no one to carry on the family legacy. We've got no one to carry on the, the, the heritage of our family. We've got no one. We're going to die alone. And so this is the, the loneliness that Jarius is facing, this loneliness of, of, of no, no history from here on out, no grandkids. Now, what, what, I always, what I find interesting is knowing uh, how Luke, the Gospel of Luke, how he wrote it, that he wrote it later, it makes sense that he knows that this daughter is the only child because he wrote decades afterwards. So he might have sat down with this girl when she's in her 40s. And she might have said, yeah, we didn't have anybody else. Mark doesn't know this yet. But, but Luke found out, oh, yeah, this was the only child. This was a big deal right? Look at verse 24. Verse 24 says this, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him is what the ESV says. Anybody uh, in your version of the Bible have a different word than thronged? What is it? Yes, that's exactly what it means, pressed. That's exactly what the word means. And and when I I read this in the ESV, I'm like, man, thronged. We don't use that word very often, do we? Like, like, what an interesting word, right? But that's what it means. It means everybody pressed in around him. So, so here's the deal. As Jesus and Jairus go, so does the crowd. And either the crowd gets bigger or their space they're in gets smaller. But what happens is they are literally pressed up against each other, right? Now, I've been in, in certain countries where like if you've been to the airport in Atlanta, you know they have the tram that runs you to the terminals and stuff. And like when it pulls up and, and it's, you know, the little compartment's crowded, you're like, ah, I'll just walk over here and see if one's less crowded. Or I'll just, you know, since there'll be another two minutes, I got time, I'll wait another two minutes for a less crowded one. I've been in countries where it doesn't matter how crowded it is, right? Like if the train shows up, you force your way in. And you've got some little old lady behind you that if you don't move fast enough, she's taking her thumb and poking you in the rear to speed you along, right? Like, 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 like pressed in is like that. Like I've been on trains that are so packed when the train takes off, you don't need to hold on to a rail or anything because you're all like this and this is what you do. You know, like, like the train takes off and you just move a little bit, right? Because it's, it's just packed in. That's the word that Mark is using to describe the crowd around Jesus, that everybody was pressed in around him. Well, look at who is in this crowd. Verse 25. 
Verse 25 says this, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood uh, for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. So in this crowd of people that are pressed in around Jesus, there's Jairus and there's this woman in the crowd, right? This woman with this physical ailment who has been bleeding for how long? 12 years. How old is Jairus' daughter? Okay, hold on to that, all right? But let me catch you up on what this would mean for her. She's the one that's experiencing the type of loneliness that people are afraid to be around her, right? Because here's what it means for her. Like we read this, and and it's easy for us to think, oh, gosh, how awful. She's been sick for 12 years. She's been bleeding. Like, oh, gosh, that's just awful. But for her, like, She's been physically ill for 12 years. I don't know if you know anybody that deals with chronic pain and chronic illness, but even if the illness isn't debilitating, the fact that it's chronic can be, right? And, and, and like there are support groups for people that deal with chronic illness, and it is a big deal, right? On top of that stress from chronically ill, Leviticus 15, according to that, she is also ceremonially and ritualistically unclean. Like, she can't come to worship because of this illness, right? She couldn't go to the synagogue. She didn't know who Jarius was. I mean, she might have heard of him by name, but she never got to see him do what he did because for 12 years she hasn't been able to go to worship. Right? And so not only is there this physical illness that she's dealing with, but there's also this, this real and this spiritual issue of separation that she's dealing with. She can't be around the people of God because God's law says that she can't, right? And, 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 and so you have that, like, like she wasn't supposed to be around anyone, especially in a crowd, and so she had no one. But, but that's not it. Mark also tells us not only does she not have anyone, she has spent all of her money trying to get better. So not only does she not have anyone, she has no money. Right? That's who this woman is. And so let's just step back for a minute, because what Mark is doing is he's, is he's focusing on two people in this crowd. You've got Jairus the religious leader, and you've got this this woman. Jarius is facing a lonely home, right? Losing his daughter, no kids, no grandkids, no family line. And then you've got this lonely woman and she has nothing and she has no one. And yet, and yet, and I love the way Mark does this, they're in this packed crowd, like this full crowd of people pressing in around them, Right? And I'm wondering, as I think about that image that Mark shows us that Jesus is in the middle of, I'm wondering if there's someone here today, whether you're here in person or whether you're, you're joining us online, that you feel this way. Like you feel alone in this crowd of Jesus-following people, right? Now, we, we're not pressed in with each other. Like we haven't done that in three years, right? Like somebody gets too close for a conversation and you're like, hey, yeah, 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 right? Like... But is anybody feeling alone in a crowd? Kids, students, maybe maybe your friends aren't here, right? It's summer, so maybe your friends are off doing their things and you don't get to see them the, the, the way you did. Or maybe you're in that 
in that season of life where friends start going to different schools. And so being around them uh, is much more difficult and it produces this, this loneliness and you feel like you've got no one. Adults, maybe your house is lonely, right? Like, like you're in that season of life where your house is lonely or maybe your house has always felt lonely. Maybe your social life is lonely. Maybe your marriage is lonely. You see, if, if this is you, then you can do what Jarius and this woman do. Look at verse 27. Verse 27 says this. And she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And so what she does is she reaches out in this crowd, right? Like she's, 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 she's got her, her, her clothes on. She's probably got her cloak on. We'll see why in a minute. Like, like, and all she does is she kind of works her way through this pressed crowd. And when Jesus goes by, she just reaches out and touch him, touches him. The Gospel of Matthew gives us a little bit more and says that she touched the fringe of his garment. And, and what that means, the, the, the word that's used there is this word for a scarf. And oftentimes it was this prayer scarf. Well, it was always this prayer scarf that they would wear. But oftentimes they would throw it over their shoulders. Right, so, so one part is hanging here and they throw it back or throw both parts back. And what it had at the very end is it had these tassels and it had this fringe that would hang down their back. And so the image here that, that if, you, if you look at Matthew and Luke and Mark and put them all together is that what this woman did is she worked her way through the crowd and as Jesus passed, she just reached and touched the back of Jesus' back. She reached and saw the back of him, much like Moses did when, when he saw God pass, he saw the back of God go past. And that's what she does is she reaches out and touches this little tassel hanging down the middle of his back. And, and, and in this crowd of people, she came up behind Jesus and does this. Now, why does she do this? Well, we'll see in just a minute, but look at what, look at what happens. Verse 29 says this. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease, right? So all she does is she reaches out and she touches Jesus' back because she's heard these stories about him. And immediately when she does, she's healed, right? Verse 30 says this. It says, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garment?" Right? Now, Jesus, when you look at the Gospels, you see Jesus has a pretty good idea of what's happening, right? But the crowd needs to know something. The crowd has something to learn from what just happened that they had no idea. The disciples didn't know. Jairus didn't know. Only Jesus and this woman, woman knew something had happened. Look at verse 31. It says, And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? Right? If you know the disciples, you can probably guess who that one was. Right? Probably Peter, but that's all right. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him. So trembling, what happens is, is, is Jesus says, who touched me? One of the disciples, eh, probably Peter, says, says, what do you mean, who touched you? everybody's touching you. What, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And then the crowd kind of separates, and this woman falls down. Now, the word for fall down is different here than what Jairus did. The word used for Jairus when he saw Jesus is that he got down on a knee, 
right? He, he bowed to Jesus, very respectful. The woman here, what she does, she's been healed, and she sees Jesus, and, and, and the word that's used here is that she falls flat on her face in front of Jesus. She is completely, like, on her face in front of Jesus, right? And here's what I love about our Jesus, is he accepted both of them, right? He didn't wait for Jairus to fall flat on his face. He accepted both of them. But here's my question. <clears throat> if the crowd was pressing in so close that literally, you know, one of the disciples would be like, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody touched you. Like, like how did this woman have space all of a sudden to fall down before Jesus, to fall flat on her face before Jesus? <clears throat> Let me tell you how I think this could have happened. This is completely my imagination. This is speculation, but it's based on, uh, you know, reading the Gospels and, and kind of seeing how this would play out. And to be honest, it is also from my personal experience of being in a small town, right? The villages that Jesus healed people in were small towns. And what happens in a small town? Everybody what? Everybody knows everybody, right? Anybody go to a small high school? Mm, can't get away with nothing, can you? No. No, my graduating class was 700 students, right? Administrators had no idea who I was, and if they did, that was a bad sign, right? But in these small towns, people knew, right? They knew who this woman was, right? Once the crowd stops and starts looking around to see who would have touched Jesus, chances are they see her in the crowd, you know, right? The woman that hasn't been to church in 12 years is here, right? The woman, because they believe that if you had chronic illness, it was because of your sin that this happened, that if the doctors tried and couldn't fix you, then you had this ongoing sin that you needed to repent of, and until you did, God wasn't going to heal you, right? So they, they look and, and, and they say, this, this woman's here, you know, that woman that's the sinner, Right? You know, that woman that we don't want to be around because I don't want to get whatever she's got. That woman that says, well, whenever they're sitting around the kitchen table and their teenager is rebellion is rebelling, they'll go, well, at least we don't have it as bad as her. Right? That woman. They look around and they see her. And immediately they do what they've been doing for 12 years and they just start backing up because it's her. And all of a sudden, the crowd begins to separate. Right? The, the everyone steps away, everyone except Jesus. He stands his ground. And he stands there. And when they all moved, it's just her and Jesus that are left. And y'all, let's stop right here for a minute, because here's what's important for us to see in this text. Right? That we all have crowds that are around us. And sometimes we feel lonely in those crowds and sometimes we don't. And, and those crowds are our family. Those crowds are our friends. Those family are our coworkers. They're, they're, they're our followers on social. The, the crowd are the people around you that are the people in your life, whether chosen or unchosen. Like, like you've got this crowd. And here's what we need to see is that this, that crowds will step back for all kinds of reasons. Right? Especially today. Crowds are fickle today. We live in a cancel culture. You say something wrong or you don't say the right thing the right way and people step back from you, right? They step back because they don't like you anymore. They might step back because they just like somebody else better. But sometimes, sometimes 
God actually pulls the crowd back on purpose so that you can see him and him alone. You see, when her crowd left, Jesus didn't, which is something for us to consider. When the crowd leaves, Jesus stays. In other words, when your loneliness speaks loud at night when you're trying to go to sleep, Jesus is there. When you feel alone, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's at work, no matter where it is, Jesus is there. This is our Jesus. Like You can write down, like, like when blank leaves, Jesus stays. When blank, fill in the blank, left, Jesus stayed. Right? He stays. He sticks with us when nobody else does. When the crowd leaves, actually we can see Jesus better. Isn't that cool? Right? And maybe, maybe you're lonely in the crowd and maybe your crowd is left. Well, maybe it's time for you to see Jesus more clearly and let him see you more clearly than you did before. And maybe it's time to see him as the only one who has never left you. To see Jesus as the only one that you truly need. Because when you do, look at what happens. Verse 33. Verse 33 says this. Let's see, verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. You see, she, she, what I love this is she said the whole truth in front of this whole crowd that you know they're listening intently now. Like, what's she going to say, right? What did she say? Now, we don't know exactly, right? We don't know exactly what she said. But, but the way the Gospels talk about what she did, I think we have a really good clue. And it's based on the book of Malachi. In the book of Malachi, in the Old Testament, that's the last book of prophecy in the Old Testament. And, and after the book of Malachi, there's like these hundreds and hundreds of years of silence for the nation of Israel. And one of the things that the prophets would do is they would speak about the coming Messiah. They would speak about what Jesus would be like when, when he would come for the nation of Israel and come for the Gentiles and come for the whole world. And one of the things that, that Malachi said is this. As he said, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the straw. Now, calves from the straw. Now, here's what's interesting. The word for wing is the same word that they use for prayer shawl, right? Like, like it's the word that the, that the gospel writer says, this woman touched his prayer shawl. And I think that connection is there for us to see that this woman looked at this verse and said, Jesus, you are the son of righteousness and you rise with healing in your wings. And I banked everything I had left on that. And I reached out and touched your shawl. I reached out and touched your wings. I, went out, I reached out and touched the fringe of your garment because I knew it was you. And I knew you could heal me. You see, she needed to leap like a calf again. She needed healing. Right? And she sees Jesus as the Savior and the Messiah that Malachi was talking about. This is her testimony. Right? Jesus, you are the one. 
And look at Jesus' response. And here's how I think I know that it was from Malachi, because look at verse 34. It says this, and, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You see, it was her faith, seeing Jesus as who he is, that healed her. That Jesus wasn't just another doctor coming down the street, right? He wasn't just some miraculous healer, that he was the son of God. He was and is the Messiah. You see, Jesus attributed her healing to her faith in him. Now, her position is a position of faith, right? And her words are this picture of faith. But, but can I ask you a question, right? Like, who in this room, whether you're a student kid, whether you're an adult, whether you're watching, whether you're in here engaging with us right now, who in here has been alone for too long, right? Maybe think about it this way. Who in here hasn't welcomed Jesus into their loneliness? Fully and completely, as Jesus being the only one who can meet you in your loneliness, that he can meet you in your loneliness in a way that a perfect marriage, perfect friendships, perfect job still wouldn't, right? Where do you need Jesus? Does the crowd around you need you to hear? Does the crowd around you need to hear you talk about that Jesus? the Jesus that meets you in those lonely places? Do they need to know that Jesus is real in your life? One of the visions that we have for this church, we've got this vision document that, that is this picture that, that of, what, of what the elders believe God is doing and will do in this church. And one of them is that our people will talk about Jesus like he's real. Right? Which seems silly until you hear somebody do it. And it's powerful. That's what this woman is doing, that Jesus is real. Here's why this is part of our vision, because when you tell how Jesus is real and how he is changing you, you show how he can change someone else, right? Because this is what we're about to see. The testimony of Jesus in your life, get this, actually speaks prophetically about what Jesus can do in someone else's life. Right? When you talk about how Jesus is real to you, how he's met you in the ups and downs of your life and how he has been the only consistent part of it. When you talk about how, how Jesus met you when you were just kind of hiking in the woods and, and you were tense and you needed peace and Jesus met you there, you show how he can actually prophetically give peace into someone else's life if they will open up to him and let him meet them. It gives others hope, it gives others life, it gives others healing, that your Jesus story allows others to invite Jesus into their story. And if you don't believe me, look at what happens next, because Jairus, he's about to need her testimony. He is about to need her story of healing. Look at verse 35. It says, and while he was still speaking, there came from the rulers of the house some, I mean, yeah, from the ruler's house, some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Right? Now here's, here's, here, what we're going to see is this crowd again in just a minute, but, but, but her story that she just said 
that Jesus, you are the son of righteousness who rise with healing in your wings. Or whatever she said, she said something that showed that your faith in Jesus, her faith in Jesus healed her. And as Jesus was telling her, daughter, your faith has healed you, Jairus hears this news. Never mind, daughter's dead. Go home. Console your wife, go home. You see, Jairus needed to know that Jesus is the healer. He needed to know that Jesus can take care of the loneliness that is now very real to him. His daughter is dead, which is why Jesus looks at him and says, don't fear, just believe. Look at verse 37. And and let's see, uh, verse 37. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John and the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly, because that's what they did. That's how they mourned, like they weeped and they wailed, and and it was this whole thing. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they all laughed at him. And he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with them and went in where the child was. Can you imagine? Like, like, like we read this and we know who Jesus is. We know what Jesus just did. The, 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 the people there grieving and wailing, they have no idea. And all they see is this man come in with the father and grabbing the mother and these disciples and saying, hey, she's not dead, she's asleep. Right? They think he's crazy. They start laughing at him. And so this crowd, again, is asked to leave this time. And, y'all, sometimes, i got to tell you, it is good to get away from the crowd. It is good to turn the social media off. It is good to turn the TV off. It is good to get alone with Jesus. Because then you get to see what only Jesus can do. And I'm telling you, some of us in this room, we fight for the crowd's attention. Right? What if we didn't? What if we let them leave so that we could see Jesus? Because look at verse 41. Verse 41 says this. And taking her by the hand, he said, Talitha kumi, I guess is how you say that, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. That's how we know how old she was. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. And so what happened is this little girl was healed too, and she was brought back to life. And y'all, here's the deal. The crowd can be deceptive, right? They can make us feel better about ourselves, but they can also make us feel alone. But no matter what the crowd does, Jesus is always there. And he's here for you today. Let me ask you this. Do you need to reach out to Jesus for healing? Because he will meet you there. Do you need to reach out to Jesus for salvation? Do you need to see him as your savior? He will, do, he will be there. He will, he will cleanse you from the power and penalty of sin in your life. And as you do what she did and see him to be the one that the scripture said is the son of righteousness, is the son of God, right? Do you need to reach out to Jesus maybe to break an addiction? And maybe it is an addiction to your phone, right? Let me step on some toes now, right? Like I'm not talking about wine or pot or drugs or anything like that. Let's talk about those little boxes that we carry around in our back pocket, 
that connect us to the world. And we pick them up and touch them hundreds of times a day. Maybe that's your addiction that Jesus needs to break. That's the crowd that you're clamoring for their attention. You see, Jesus will meet you there. Are you broken and need to be restored? Guess what? Jesus will meet you there. Okay, so now remember the age of the girl. How old was she? All right. How long had the woman been bleeding? Twelve. All right. In in the Bible, whenever uh, New Testament and Old Testament writers use the number twelve, it's usually to signify the the nation of Israel, because there's twelve tribes of Israel. And I think Mark included these facts because he wanted to give a little hint of something. And it's this hint of even though you see this crowd and this crowd isn't the best crowd in the story, but you see this little hint that the nation of Israel is attached to this, that community is attached to these two very different and very individual healings, right? And why did Mark include these numbers? Because I think what we need to see is something that he was alluding to that we need to see in our society today and we need to see in our church today that when, when you are healed, we are healed. Right? There is a picture that these two healings, even though they're individual, there is this hint that they were actually for the nation of Israel and that the nation of Israel is better because this synagogue ruler and this, and this woman experiencing all kinds of loneliness are healed. When you are healed, our church is better. Right? When you are, are, are letting Jesus deal with your brokenness, when you are letting Jesus deal with your loneliness, it doesn't just impact you, it impacts us. This is, this is the part that, that we need to understand that you are not separate from us and we are not separate from you. That Jesus meets and heals us so that we can be healed together. And y'all, the way that that happens is what we see here is that this woman speaks of her healing and then it encourages those around them. It encourages Jairus to believe. It's one of the reasons that the vision for the church is that we talk about Jesus like he's real, number one, because he is real, right? And number two, because when you talk about how Jesus is real in your life, I get to believe he can be real in mine. When you talk about how Jesus met you this week, I get to believe that he can meet me this week. And so what if when we finish church today, instead of walking out and just being like, hey, how are you? How was your week? Oh, you look sunburned. What happened? You know, like, like what? Because a lot of y'all do, shockingly. Uh, you don't see it from up here, but some of y'all got some sun yesterday, right? But what happens if instead we ask each other questions about, hey, where did Jesus meet you this week? Because I need to know he's going to meet me this week. And what would happen if, if somebody said, man, let me tell you what happened. I had a tough day at work. And Jesus got me through it. My kids were driving me crazy. And Jesus allowed me to not kill them. Amen? Right? Like, like, what would happen if we told those stories to each other? 
you know what would happen? We would be healed together. We'd be encouraged together. And so church, that's my challenge this week is tell your story. How Jesus has been real. Ask somebody how Jesus has been real to you. Let's pray. Jesus, you do meet us in our lonely places. You do meet us in those places where we feel the most alone. And I pray that like this woman, this unnamed woman that, that, that spoke faith and spoke belief to this known man, Jarius, that we would speak faith to each other and we would speak belief to each other. And that as a church, we would be healed by you and by you alone. In Christ's name I pray, amen.